HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Square. If you run a restaurant or business, Square has the tools to help you stay connected to customers, shift your business, and navigate this uniquely challenging time. Learn more at square.com slash go slash line. Welcome to The Line. I'm your host, Eli Sussman. In this special COVID-19 episode, I'm sharing the audio recordings from some of the hospitality frontline workers that are going to work every day to feed our country. In what feels like a constant flow of insurmountable moments when day-to-day reveals a new crisis, these kitchens are doing what they do best, feeding communities. Pre-COVID, restaurants were always the first to donate to charities and fundraisers of all kinds. So it should surprise no one that in this time of crisis, even while being the hardest hit sector, with tens of thousands of restaurants on the verge of bankruptcy and with owners and employees facing personal financial ruin, restaurants have stepped up in the most dramatic way to help feed our nation. Thousands of restaurants have flipped into distribution centers to feed their communities, Restaurants are directly feeding frontline workers, and kitchens are providing meals to shelters, the food insecure, and marginalized communities. It's been restaurants on the brink of collapse that continue to give. With the guidance and leadership of organizations like the Lee Initiative, World Central Kitchen, Off Their Plate, and local direct initiatives, restaurants have fed millions since the start of COVID with the high potential of closure always looming. What you'll hear over this episode are voices from around the country, Lexington, Cincinnati, Washington, D.C., New York, and Chicago, the voices of those nourishing the healthcare professionals that are risking their lives to save those affected, the voices of people that made the decision to go to work at the scariest time, to be in their kitchens when no one would have blamed them for staying home, working every day feeding the most needy and most vulnerable. If you've got a 7 p.m. moment in your city, or if you take time out of your day to highlight essential workers, I urge you that the next time you go to your porch or window, balcony, fire escape, to clap and cheer, you include these essential workers in your thoughts. Most of the folks in kitchens have been hidden and nameless for far too long. So for now, clap and cheer for them. And when it's safe to go out again, take a moment to seek out the restaurants that cook during the pandemic that put themselves at risk to feed those in need. Go inside, walk up to the kitchen window, and give them a round of applause. The hospitality industry will welcome you back with open arms. In return, give them what they deserve, a hero's welcome. 
Let's make sure they are finally seen. Now on to the stories. Hey there, this is Jose Salazar recording from Mita's Restaurant. Uh, It's located in downtown Cincinnati. So the process for us to flip our restaurant into a relief kitchen was, I'm going to say, fairly easy all in all. I think because of the guidance from uh, Lindsay and Chef Ed Lee, we, you know, we got some really good information on how to set it up and um, how to make it successful and, and relatively um, simple and straightforward. But then also because we're a larger restaurant, we have a lot of storage for our dry goods and our um, food that is prepared um, or getting ready to be prepared. So um, that really helps a lot. Um, and, um, you know, all in all, uh, it, it hasn't been too bad. I think maybe because now six weeks later, <laughs> my memory is maybe not serving me right. And it just seems like it's easier. Uh, maybe we just figured this shit out a little bit. And uh, my memory um, just blocked out the the stresses that came with the first week or two. We're cooking for uh, people in our industry who are out of work. And sadly, there's so many of them. And we're serving probably around 200 meals a night. In addition to that, we're handing out lots of essentials, anything from canned goods to rice and beans to feminine products, headache medicine, you name it. Um, We're like a little bodega. And, um, you know, it's, it's... sad in some ways, but also very rewarding in other ways. Um, we're, we're basically making a big family meal and we're trying to remember that, you know, we're just, we're feeding our, our colleagues and trying to make them happy and put as much love into the food as, as we would, um, you know, any other night of the week. Um, it, it's rewarding, yeah, like I said, it, it makes you feel good, but, uh, but you know, I wish, I wish we didn't have to do it, that's for sure. Our governor just gave word today that we're able to reopen in a couple weeks, and that's obviously um, something to look forward to, but we're still obviously quite concerned, uh, you know, what that means, could we... Could we see people getting sick in our restaurant um, or contracting the virus, I should say, you know, um, whether it be our guests or our employees, we're we're really concerned and we're meeting um, already as of today we met and are thinking of ways to to cut down the risks. Um, but obviously, there's always going to be some once we open those doors, we know that um, that we're opening ourselves up for for some potential things to go wrong. Um, but overall, I'm feeling really optimistic and I'm I'm eager to to try to get back to some semblance of normalcy. Hi, my name is Maiko Kyogoku and I am the owner of Beso Restaurant. And I'm recording this from inside my home in the East Village. The process of 
stopping normal service and closing after the mandated lockdown was pretty hairy, hectic, and um, terrifying as as a restaurant owner. I, you know, I I was feeling pretty much alone at that moment. Um, my chef Emily was home and, um, you know, was being extra cautious and, uh, you know, self-quarantining. Um, and so we had, you know, a walk-in full of food and we have a second location in Dumbo, uh, inside of Time Out Market, which was also full of, you know, weeks and weeks full of inventory that we needed to get rid of. And so I spent the first day or so um, with the help of my team getting the food from the market back to the restaurant and um, enlisted the help of one of our lead cooks from our opening days to help me organize everything. Um, you know, we had beets that needed pickling. We, um, you know, pureed, pureed uh, vegetables and froze them, did whatever we could to preserve all the, the food that was going to go bad. Um, we did three days of uh, an initiative that we came up with on the fly called Eat a Meal, Share a Meal. There was a lot of news going around at that time of kids not being able to get meals because the schools were shutting down. And so we um, teamed up with with an organization to become a food hub and... Um, you know, we're giving away free meals to New York City school kids that may not have access to hot meal uh, and also made a promise to to donate any meals, um, match any purchases of meals that people made for themselves with a donation to uh, a New York City kid. So it was a way for us to to really just close down quicker. We, you know, having two restaurants worth of food in one walk-in is, is, um, really just beyond any sort of, um, normal situation. We, you know, did the best we could, but we ended up giving away a ton of food to neighbors, to employees to friends, to family. Um, I even spent the last couple of days just driving around in my car and dropping off big loads of groceries and food to um, regular customers, especially older patrons who I knew wouldn't have a chance to go out that much and um, was able to to empty out our, our fridges and walk-ins that way. The fact that this virus prevents people from gathering 
and the restaurants being places to gather, it's just, um, it, it's, it's going to kill our industry. So Emily and I decided that we wanted to do something. Um, we wanted to help really. And so we reached out to, uh, off their plate, uh, which is an organization affiliated with Jose Andres, uh, World Central Kitchen. And we started making meals, relief meals to hospital workers. And, you know, in the three weeks we've been back open, we've served about 1500 meals now. Um, and mind you, it's just the two of us. So it's, it's pretty crazy, but it's, um really rewarding it definitely beats being at home wondering what the future holds um and it really makes me feel like we're doing something right now um which is really the most we can ask for considering the the future is so uncertain i m- myself i'm not a trained chef, but owning a restaurant, you have to wear many hats. And being the daughter of a, a restaurant owner, I grew up in the, um, in the restaurant environment. And, and so I've just been, you know, I, I cook at the restaurant and prep when needed. And, um, right now I am the sole prep cook. So, uh, you know, we're, Emily's using me, using me really well. <laughs> and, um, we are getting a lot done, um, you know, uh, and trying to, trying to make this, uh, operation work with just the two of us right now. It's strange to be owning a restaurant where the dining room is converted into, uh, a factory line for relief meals and having, you know, stacks and stacks of to-go boxes and paper bags and, you know, U-Haul boxes for delivery, uh, lining up the, the, the benches and, you know, piled up on the tables rather than customers in the seats and, you know, the usual buzz in the air um, in the dining room. It's been quiet and very solitary at the restaurant. It's just uh, me and Emily. And so, you know, it's uh, a strange, strange time we are living in now. And it's a hard to hard to talk about it because it's it really doesn't feel real most most days um but yeah hello my name is leo robicek and uh, we're here at the nomad hotel in new york city i'm the vp of food and beverage for sidel uh, which is owner of the Nomad, um, and I'm here with uh, two uh, of our amazing staff members. We have Maddie Sperling, who is our chef de cuisine, and uh, Becky Isbell, who's our pastry chef. Um, so, what have we been doing here 
uh, in the past few weeks? Uh, for the past few weeks, we've been working with World Central Kitchen to produce meals for those in need, uh, whether that be frontline workers uh, in hospitals or elsewhere, or uh, for food banks that are currently overwhelmed by demand. Yeah, um, you know, I uh, was affected by COVID, um, sadly, and, um, you know, I thankfully am better now. Um, it was sort of a four-week ordeal for me, and... Um, you know, we're back in the restaurant now. I, I unfortunately did end up in Lenox Hill. And um, as soon as I got out and I recovered and I was able to come back, it was really important to me to, to do something. When I was in the hospital there, um, I just saw how overworked um, and understaffed and under-supported these team members were. But I was also in awe because every time they would come in, they were so incredibly amazing and they had such amazing attitudes. Um, and I saw one of the things that they did need was meals. Like, uh, I was able to send them when I felt a little bit better, some pizza and that small little, um, gift that, you know, I, I did for them, uh, could never repay what they did for me, which is basically my life back. But they were so appreciative and all of them individually came and thanked me. And they were just so happy because some of them were saying that, you know, they would get a meal a day if that. Um, so I was really happy that World Central Kitchen gave us this opportunity to sort of shift and uh, bring back some of our team members that we have here. And uh, I believe we have other four other team members and a fifth starting next week to be able to uh, cook and, and, and create these amazing meals for people in need. Um, so I unfortunately wasn't here when we were closing down the restaurant, but that must have been quite a big ordeal. Um, you know, Becky, what was it like just closing down the restaurant a place that you've worked for the past, I know, somewhat years and, and, and seeing it sort of shuttered. I mean, I think the unknown was scary. I, I think we all were unaware of how drastic things were going to turn. And, you know, just in a, you know, split moment, we, you know, we didn't have guests to serve. And, you know, the staff that, you know, we've come to love and appreciate and who are our family, um, you know, had to stay home. And um, it was kind of empty and, um, you know, I think a little sad. Um, so I think coming back and being able to do something like this, which is such rewarding work, um, I think has really kind of turned something that was so scary for a lot of us into something really positive. That's amazing. Um, I've been lucky enough to do a lot of openings and I've seen how the openings are and I can only imagine that this is like an opening in reverse and I can't even imagine what that feels like emotionally. Uh, Maddie, what was it like to pack up the kitchen and pack up the tools and put everything away? Uh, well, Nomad's a beast of an operation. Yeah. Uh, we're open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, if you include our overnight room service program. Um, we have a whole private events kitchen. So in many ways, it's like a freight train when it's running. Um, yeah. It runs pretty well, and you're not always aware of all the effort that's going into making it run. But shutting down and slowing down a freight train is close to impossible. And it really felt like that. It took us uh, a couple weeks to close down completely. We were anticipating the possibility of a closure for a little while. So we, we slowed down ordering, uh, we reduced our staffing. And I actually found the other day a reservation list for the last brunch that we did on wow. Sunday. And uh, we had 25 guests on the books for reservations, which is about 10% of what well, we can yeah. do, what we can do normally. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we felt it then, and then once we were closed, uh, yeah. it took us a whole week. The Sioux team stayed and, and came in every day to deep clean every corner of this building that we can't typically deep clean when we're open because we're always so busy. 
Um, and then when it finally came time after that week was over to leave the restaurant and say goodbye and shut off the lights, I realized I had no idea where the lights were in this kitchen because <laughs> <laughs> we literally never turn them off. I've never seen the lights turned off before. So that felt like a pretty symbolic moment. Yeah. I've, you know, I've, been here since day one and I've helped design this place and I have to say I have no clue what the lights are either so <laughs> how has you know obviously the change of cooking you know 50 different dishes to cooking one main thing every single day affected you and how do you feel about doing this type of cooking right now um I, I wrapped my head around this type of cooking by thinking about it as family meal cooking so at the restaurant, we cook family meal for over 200 people every day, uh, twice a day, actually. And you learn a lot about big batch cooking. Uh, you learn how to put love into something in a large quantity. Um, and you learn how to problem solve in ways that you don't necessarily learn how to when you're putting one portion of food on a guest in our main dining room. Yeah. Um, so when I brought these cooks back, that's how I described it to them. Mm -hmm. and. I asked them to think of some of their favorite family meals or some family meal ideas they'd like to try. And that's how we've been approaching mm -hmm. cooking for these people. And uh, with that, we're trying to put the same kind of love that we would put in for uh, you know, our team when we cook for them. Yeah. Because it really is different when you have an idea of this group of people you're cooking for. And that sort of uh, intimacy doesn't always exist yeah. when you're cooking for guests in the dining room. We're going to take a quick commercial break. Stick with us. This episode is brought to you by Square. We all know that this is an incredibly challenging time for our friends running restaurants and small food businesses. With social distancing in place, people are staying home and eating in, and restaurants have had to pivot to pickup and delivery only. HRN would usually be recording our podcast from our studio inside Roberta's, but since they've had to close their dining room, they've ramped up their frozen pizza production, set up a wine and grocery shop, and seen their delivery orders skyrocket. Like Roberta's, many restaurants have been changing offerings day by day as they figure out how to best serve their customers. If you run a restaurant or small business, Square has the tools to help you adapt. One of these tools is the Square online store. It lets you set up a free online ordering page with curbside pickup and local delivery so you can keep customers safe. You can deliver orders yourself or integrate with delivery partners. Its order hub lets you manage all your incoming orders in one place no matter which delivery partners you choose to use. Square has all the tools to help you stay connected to customers no matter where they are. See everything that's available by visiting square.com go line. Welcome back to The Line. I'm your host, Eli Sussman. On today's episode, voices from the front lines of kitchens feeding those in need. Next, we'll head to Lexington to hear about the work being done in that community. Hello, my name is Samantha Four, and I am the chef and owner of Tuk Tuk Sri Lankan Bites, a pop-up in Lexington, Kentucky. I'm actually recording this from inside my home. The process for me has been completely different versus a lot of my counterparts because I don't have a brick and mortar restaurant and I really don't have 
a large staff that I pull from, most of my work is gig-based. So to be able to cook for the community at large is exciting, but I also want to be able to pay it forward for the folks that may not have the opportunity to pivot in the ways that I have. Um, we have about 400 folks coming through the center nightly for food and supplies. We do one hot meal a night per person. We do have people who represent groups in neighborhoods that are hosting undocumented and refugee workers. And to be able to serve the backbone of our industry has been honestly one of the biggest moments of, of personal pride in my life because despite not knowing what my future is, despite not knowing if pop-ups even have a future in this new landscape, I have found a way to contribute to my community. And that has been something that has been pretty standard across the board in Lexington. We have a lot of people that are kicking up and, and, and cooking and, and contributing to centers and and producing you know meals for people in need. But the challenges with that, especially in a smaller town like ours, is that it does restrict the amount of personal protective equipment that we have available to us. It does restrict the donation pool to us. It does restrict you know being able to use any sort of leftover or excess in order to help our customers. That said, we all do pitch in together on, on a lot of efforts to make sure that everyone from the undocumented workers to the service industry, to children going to school, to folks who are in need or who are immunosuppressed are able to get meals. And there is honestly no waste with our center. The Great Bagel location of the Restaurant Workers Relief Program for the Lee Initiative currently serves folks that drive up, but we also have a cache of medical professionals and folks who just cannot make it out that are also able to utilize our services. And it's a moment of pride. It's a moment of joy in a very difficult time. I think that being able to do this kind of work, to be able to immerse myself in relief work is the positive distraction that I needed in a time of complete uncertainty. You know, I work on the tech side for the lead initiative and I coordinate the Lexington location at Great Bagel with Lara Swan and Robert Swan. And it is amazing to see how much we've accomplished and how many people we have fed and honestly how protective we've gotten over our community since this started. We have a vested interest in making sure that people end up back up on their feet. We have a vested interest in people making sure that they know that we're there for them. We don't want the stigma of asking for help to restrict that in any way, shape, or form. For my restaurant, I really don't know what the future is. I, I don't know what pop-ups are going to look like. I don't know if pop-ups are even going to exist. But that said, I do know that there are people out there who are appreciative and who really want to make their communities a better place. And, and if that's the pivot that I have to take until things get to a point where I can show the world Sri Lankan and Southern cuisine again, then so be it. You know, this is a time to pitch in. This is a time to help. And as long as everyone is fed, as long as people are, are happy and supplied and, and we're making some sort of effort to bring comfort in a difficult time, I think I will be satisfied with that. Hi, my name is Janet Kirker, and I'm the chef partner at Beatrix Market. 
and I'm recording this from inside my restaurant in Chicago. We were actually asked by the governor to stay open uh, because we are located in Northwestern Hospital in downtown Chicago. Uh, we have uh, Beatrix Market, which I primarily oversee, as well as our full-service restaurant, uh, as well as our coffee bar. And he wanted all of that to stay open and available for the staff of the hospital. So kind of navigating what that looked like and looking at our two different business models uh, under the same roof, that being the market and the restaurant, um, it was it was a project that we never imagined that we would have to undertake. We are in a hospital. Um, we are all wearing masks and washing our hands and wearing gloves, and we're very conscientious. But it doesn't change the fact that we are not uh, staying at home. And there is a risk. And uh, I think we're all aware of it. But Everyone, I'm very fortunate that everyone really has a positive attitude. Uh, we're a great and strong team to begin with, so um, we're just working together to to get through this, as well as uh, you know making the decisions and having conversations of how to make it a little better or how to make it a little easier. Because every day is still kind of new territory for us, um, but. We're in it, and um, I think everybody's doing a great job. Uh, I really think that everybody feels great about helping the the doctors and the nurses. Uh, They're very excited to come in and and see that we're still open. Uh, We have done uh, drop-offs for them uh, with pastries and sandwiches and uh, coffees, just just to take things up to them and... um, I don't know, help them get through the day. I mean, it's it's so intense, but when, when we get a group in, a few people here and there who want to sit down and have a meal, I know it makes them feel good and, and certainly makes us feel good in the process. Um, we have also created some just special deals in the market and in the restaurants to... Um, make things a little more affordable, a little little perk here and there for the doctors and the nurses to come in, breakfast deals, lunch deals, dinner deals. Uh, and I, I think that just lets them know that we're thinking of them. Um, we feel fortunate to be able to stay open. Greetings, this is Chef Nadine, And I'm recording this from inside an incubator kitchen in Washington, D.C. Today, I am working with um, small businesses that we've trained through our entrepreneurship program in partnership with World Central Kitchen, um, creating meals for families in need in response to the COVID-19 food relief uh, response. And this is a very unique situation for us here because normally this incubator kitchen space would have been used as a training facility for our entrepreneurship program. Uh, Dreaming Out Loud is a local D.C. nonprofit whose mission is to create economic opportunities for low-income families 
through the development of a healthy and equitable food system. And in that mission, we have a program that we call DREAM, where we actually train up-and-coming food producers from marginalized communities, give them the skills they need to start their own food businesses, and of course, give them the training that they need. So normally, we would be using this space to train them as part of that curriculum. But COVID-19 presented a very unique circumstance where we were able to... um, or we were tasked with making um, numerous meals for needy families. So we were able to go back into our training um, cohort and and pull from businesses that we've trained previously and bring them in to actually produce meals at this level. So taking the training facility and turning it into a high production uh, food production facility um, presented a few challenges. Um, Of course, with COVID-19, we have to practice the social distancing. So there was some learning curve into managing the space to make sure that everyone is operating um, with that six foot uh, buffer between and uh, mask and uh, all the PPE that's necessary to produce safe food. But we are... um, working through it and we are creating um, healthy meals tasty um, wonderful meals that we would be proud to sit down and have ourselves and we're actually um, seeing these meals go out into the community and they're being distributed through various distribution sites for our residents here in DC so it gives us some level of joy to understand that we are having a very positive effect on families that we don't even know, but they're getting to sit down to a very tasty and healthy and attractive meal that we've had the opportunity to prepare. So we're, we're pretty happy about that, but it's really sad to see the level of need that COVID has presented. But, you know, as foodpreneurs or entrepreneurs, Uh, You answer the call. You see the need. You see the problem that the customer has. And you come up with a solution. So that's what we're doing. We are dealing with an inequitable food system in Washington, D.C. So even before COVID COVID came, um, we were advocating for uh, food justice and um, fair wages and opportunities for folks that are coming out of these uh, marginalized communities. So when you add the impact of COVID on top of that, um, it's going to make the struggle even more critical. But we will continue to advocate for food justice and um, work justice in Washington, D.C. We're going to continue to train um, up-and-coming food producers in Washington, D.C. And we realize that we will have to create new models um, of food delivery in Washington, D.C. to see some success. But that is what we are focused on. Um, We actually don't see defeat. We see an opportunity to create a new food system and have some level of success. This is Eli again. The entire industry, 
all the closed restaurants, the pivoting restaurants, the spots hustling 20 deliveries a day, making 5% of their normal revenue, the places packing thousands of meals for frontline workers. We all need your help. The entire hospitality industry encompasses millions of jobs and contributes billions of dollars up and down the supply chain, supporting so many businesses. Everything from farmers growing produce, the meat and dairy industries, to cleaners and florists, paper goods manufacturers, architects, designers, web designers, and dozens of other industries. Helping the restaurant industry is helping get the entire economy of our nation back on track. There is no culture, no society without these essential hospitality businesses that bring us all together and employ and support so many millions of people. It will take a huge effort from the government and we need the support of everyone in this country to believe in our value and our necessity. We need a revised PPP, payroll tax relief, an equitable wage for workers, rent that makes sense and protection from creditors so we do not go into personal financial ruin. So please stick with us. We've always been here for you and your communities, and now we're asking for you to be there for us. For more information on how you can support your local restaurants and hospitality businesses and the industry as a whole, go to heritageradionetwork.org forward slash COVID-19 for information, resources, and more episodes covering the entire food ecosystem. Thank you to all the businesses, chefs, and owners that contributed stories for this episode. Keep on doing what you're doing. You're an inspiration. Special thanks to Matt Patterson for engineering and editing this episode. And a big thanks to Daywave for allowing us usage of the track Crush, which you heard throughout this episode. You can find more info about the artist by visiting at Daywave on Instagram. And you can find every episode of The Line on Spotify, Stitcher, and iTunes podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you can leave a rating and a review, that would be cool. If you have stories you want to tell or something you think I should be covering that you want to hear on The Line, you can always email me, theline at heritageradionetwork.org. I would love to hear from you. I'll be back next week with a new episode of The Line here on Heritage Radio. The line is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners just like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.